God is funneling towards the narrow gate. He's saying, listen, yeah, come on. And I believe for, for some of us, that's the struggle right now. You're like, I believe in Jesus, but why do I have to be so specific or intentional about it? Because the Spirit of God is saying, unless you're specific and intentional about it, you're not going to grow. You need to keep being funneled by the Spirit into the narrow gate. And especially in a world where the world is actively against Jesus. Before you were a Christian, what did you think about things like the book of Revelation? If you thought about it at all, crazy gobbledygook, nonsensical stories that no sane person believes, stuff like that? Well, as Pastor Daniel will show you today, that's what Satan wants everybody to think about the Bible. You're going to hear about the main players in this war on earth, what they're going to do, and how it affects the people of God today. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Revelation chapter 12 as he begins his message, The Two Beasts. So I was talking with my dear grandmother this week. So she turns 97. Isn't that so cool? So I've had my grandmother as part of my life for my whole life. As my grandmother's getting older, you start to learn things about your parents and your grandparents as you get older because you start catching certain things. So, like, I remember when I was growing up, I have so many great memories with my family. And a lot of them, because I'm all Italian, it has to do with like meals that we were eating. And I remember we would grow up and I remember they would cook uh, ribs or something. And then we would eat, and then invariably my grandma would be like, you're leaving so much meat on there. And then my grandma would like collect all the grandkids' ribs and like clean them, literally like straight up, like get all the meat off of it. And I used to think it was so weird, like, grandma, why are you wanting to eat people's eaten ribs? But then I started thinking about it, because then, you know, my dad growing up, my poor dad, I have two older sisters, I have a twin sister and an older sister, but my twin sister is my older sister too. Six minutes, I was in there first, she came out first. I needed six minutes of quiet before this was all over, you know? <laughs> That's what I tell her, at least. But I remember my dad used to buy this vanilla chocolate and strawberry ice cream, like in the little rows. But the kids, we liked the strawberry and the chocolate, but nobody liked the vanilla, so invariably there'd just be like tubs of just vanilla. And my dad would always just eat vanilla ice cream. And I used to be like, Dad, why do you always eat the vanilla ice cream? And he would smile and he would say, well, because I like vanilla ice cream. Only to realize later, why was he eating the vanilla ice cream? Because it was all that was left. He didn't want to waste the money, right? <laughs> and so same thing, like as I'm getting older and I have these kids, I, like I do this all the time where you know, I remember my dad used to say, we'd eat pizza and we'd leave the crust. My dad would always say, it's the best part. Now, everybody knows the crust isn't the best part. But it's like the way dads rationalize the fact that they just don't want to waste the money. They bought the pizza. They want. So I do the same thing. Like the crust is there. I'm like, ooh, the crust is the best part. So I bring all this up because we're studying the book of Revelation. And if there's one thing that's true about what I'm doing is I'm leaving a lot of meat on the bone for you all. You realize that. Like there is so much in this study that in any message, you do a 30-minute message, even if I go over time and I go 50 minutes, I don't even come close to kind of grappling with all that's in these texts. And really my goal in teaching the book of Revelation to you all is I realize some of you have a background studying it. Some of you, this is the first time you're hearing it. 
I've had a number of people say, listen, every time it's through the Bible reading plan, I just skip the book of Revelation because it freaks me out and I don't understand it. And so thanks for teaching it. But I realize there's so much that I'm not saying. There's so many things that we're not exploring together. There was a part of me that thought to myself, I should just do like the slowest study of the book of Revelation in history so that we can really explore all of it. But we wouldn't have been in a year of Revelation. We'd been like in like a century of Revelation. And then we get all weird in that way. So I say this because, because I realize I'm leaving so much unsaid, so much unkind of explored. My hope is that you're going to be doing that on your own. I'll be honest, as a pastor, I feel like one of my goals is to remind you of what you already know and to help give you the tools to be able to explore it for yourselves. So I always say, like, church, we gather together to be equipped for the work of ministry, but part of the work of preaching is actually teaching how to feed yourself. Because I don't just want you to eat on Sundays. I don't want you to eat on Sundays and Wednesdays, or if you come to a midweek service. You need to feed on God's word every single day. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we said that we need to eat the book. And so I want you to be eating that book every day. And so I'm giving you as much as I can in the time that I have, but I'm also given the speed at which we're going and all the different variables. Today, we're in uh, an important section. So open your Bibles, Revelation chapter 13. As we continue our study, Revelation 13, and I am going to be leaving meat on the bone today, Revelation 13 as well. So open your Bibles, last book in your Bibles, the book of Revelation 13 is between 12 and 14, Revelation chapter 13. Now, Revelation 13 is actually like an extension of Revelation 12. If you remember, we talked about the big battle, and the big battle is literally between Satan, who is portrayed as a dragon... And really, Satan's desire to destroy and devour Jesus, who's in this image of Revelation 12, is the son. And of course, then there's the woman with child is in the midst of all of this. And by the time we finish the study, we realize that what the enemy does then is he wants to persecute the offspring of the woman. He wants to persecute the people of God. And so it's real easy because there's a chapter break, big, okay, finish thought, moving on. But actually, Revelation 13 gives us a little bit more insights. We get a little bit more specific into the last days of how the dragon, how Satan is going to seek to persecute the people of God. And really what we're going to find today is Satan is not creative at all. Can I get an amen? And so all Satan can do is counterfeit what God has already done. That's the way Satan always works. Remember, we talked about how he's a deceiver, how Satan is a liar, and how he's an accuser. But Satan isn't inherently creative, so he just sees what God is doing, and then he does his own kind of satanic version of it. Now, I realize right now, I'm talking about Satan, I realize we live in the 21st century, and so there's bound to be people who are listening to this being like, I can't believe fairly educated people actually believe in Satan. Because I've heard that before. I mean, I grew up in an environment where people didn't really follow Jesus. And so when I started following Jesus, people were like, well, you know, you're a decently intelligent person, Fusco, and I can't believe you believe this stuff. And as the older I've gotten, the more I can't believe people don't believe in the demonic realm. It's like, just look around, people. You know what I mean? Like, you can't miss it. But I realize that we live in a day and age in the kind of the zeitgeist of the moment. The spirit of the age is less, unless I can see it and deduce it down scientifically, I believe that. My favorite phrase that everyone says, uh, that we believe science. You guys know that one? That's a funny phrase today, isn't it? Because like science is a cool thing. Like I'm not against science at all. Science is seeking to understand what God has done. It's the human attempt to understand what God has created. But now we live in a day and age where people believe science and it's really their way of saying, my way is smarter than your way. But the science is kind of shoddy. 
You know that, right? It's like, whose science are we learning from? Like, how many of you remember when all that stuff came out that cigarettes weren't bad for your health? Yeah, that was some science, wasn't it? Right? And we all learn differently after a little while when things went bad, right? And all these things, oh, listen, sugar's good for you. Oh, and then, oh, the sugar substitutes, those were good for you. How many of you remember that? Yeah, that was some good science, wasn't it? Anyway, I'm going to move on from this discussion because I knew I was going to get myself in trouble. I have like one more, take one more step and I'm in the doghouse. But really what's going on here is we're going to see how Satan works. And really all Satan does is he counterfeits what he sees God does and he does his own version. So look at what it says. Now, in chapter 13, verse 1, and some of you in your translations actually have the beginning of Revelation 3 is actually the end of Revelation 12. So I know some of your translations are like, wait, why is it there? Remember, the chapter breaks are not inspired by the Holy Spirit, nor are the verse breaks. That was put in way later, just so we can understand what is in there. So it says this, then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name, verse 2. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet was like the feet of a bear, and his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority, and I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. And so they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Verse five, and he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in the blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Everyone say, wow. Okay. So what is all this about? My friends, quite simply, here is the Antichrist. Okay? The beast who comes from the sea is the Antichrist. Now, Remember I said earlier that all that Satan can do is he can counterfeit. And really, Satan's idea in how to try and win is he's seen the father grant authority and power to the son. And he's like, I'll do the same thing. And so what he decides is in the last days, there's going to be rising up who's here called the beast from the sea, who your Bible calls the Antichrist. And that phrase, anti, literally means over and against or instead of. So the idea is this beast from the sea, this coming world leader, is really his ultimate goal is to subvert the worship that is due to Jesus and to give it to the Antichrist who ultimately is doing it in the power of Satan, in the power of the dragon. 
And of course, if you read 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 4, 2 John chapter 1, this idea of the Antichrist keeps coming up again and again and again. So it's not only here, and of course, in the Olivet Discourses that Jesus gives in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel, was it? It's Matthew 23 and 24, Mark 13 and 14, and Luke 21 and 22. I think I got those right. The Olivet, this is what Jesus talks about how one's going to come in his own name and people are going to worship him. And so this is all the same person. Now, there's all these different things that we learn about this person that we call the Antichrist. Notice there's this beast rising out of the sea. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't say that oftentimes in the Jewish way of looking at things, in the scriptural way, the sea is also a picture of the Gentile nations. I don't want to overpress that because it is a vision and obviously the Antichrist isn't really going to show up like a leopard with his feet like the feet of a bear and a mouth like the mouth of a lion. So he's not going to be like some sort of crazy zoological thing that he looks all like you got a lion and a bear. It is a vision. But I do think some people want to really press that, hey, the Antichrist is going to come out of the Gentile nations because he comes out of the sea and that is always a picture, not only biblical Hebrew, but also in extra biblical literature from the rabbis. The sea is always a picture of the raging of the nations, so to speak. But what's interesting is this beast has this seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns he has these ten crowns, which remember when we saw the picture of the dragon in 12, it's the same idea. And then it goes right into the beast which I saw shall be like a leopard, his feet was like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a of a lion. Now, right there, if you want to write in your margin of your Bible, write in Daniel chapter 7. Because in the vision that Daniel sees in Daniel chapter 7, really it speaks of these kind of successive nations who are going to conquer Israel, and all of these three, the leopard, the bear, and the lion, are all in there. So it's an absolute, like, a Jewish person hearing this would be like, oh, that's Daniel chapter 7, if they, if they understood the scriptures. So it is a, a no doubt a reference to it. And really what it talks about, really what it's implying is that the Antichrist is going to rise in the spirit and the power of all that has been seeking to oppress the people of God for all of history. So this is like kind of the, the culmination of all of that. Now what's interesting is it says at the end, the dragon gave him power, his throne, and great authority. See, and that's exactly like people all the time, as it relates to who Jesus is, people are like, well, should we worship Jesus and is God not glorified when we worship him? No, Jesus is the son of God and God is glorified when we praise his son. They share authority. It's their throne. So God, you know, oftentimes people say, well, no, we shouldn't worship Jesus. We should worship the God who sent Jesus. Like, it's the same thing. We're literally trying to divide up what is in the spiritual individable. But for us, we experience God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. The Father who created and sustained everything, the Son who died in history past, and the Spirit who is working in the present. Constantly at work as one God. And so really what you have here is the dragon, Satan, is enlivening and empowering this Antichrist. Now notice in verse 3 it says, on one of his heads... It is that he had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed and all the world marveled and followed the beast. Now, remember, I already told you, all Satan can try and do is counterfeit. So Satan sees that when Jesus died and rose again, he was mortally wounded on the cross and he was resurrected. Satan's like, hey, I got an idea. When my coming world leader shows up, 
there's going to be an assassination attempt. Everyone's going to declare him dead. He's going to come back to life. And everyone's going to be like, wow, resurrected. <gasps> like, like Jesus, but not like Jesus. See, so all of it is, is counterfeiting. That's all this is. Now, why do I bring this up? Because, brothers and sisters, you and I need to learn how to be discerning. Oh, I've got a couple of amens for that one. Look at the person that you say, be discerning. Look at the other person that I say, be discerning. The Bible says that we need to test the spirits, that the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. And what that means is that everything that comes to you in the name of Jesus, we need to have discernment. Is this really something that is of God? Let me give you my, it's not my favorite example. It's the one that I've heard most often. Where all of a sudden, you know, one of my sisters in Christ, she's a great gal. And all of a sudden she's like, Pastor Daniel, can I talk to you? Yeah, what's up? Hey, so I, I was at a Bible study and I met this guy and he told me that God told him that we're going to get married. Some of you have heard this story before. And I'm like, well, what has God told you? And they're like, well, yeah, I don't really think he's very solid. But should I pray about marrying him? No, don't pray about marrying him. Any bozo can say, God told me that we're supposed to get married. Okay? You need to be discerning. You need to be discerning. It's the same thing. Like sometimes people, I love, and I love, I love the gift of prophecy. But oftentimes people want to hold prophecy above the word of God. I was just talking to my kids about this. I said, listen, when you receive a prophetic word, you pray about it. And you place it in the, I'll know that this is God if it comes to pass. That's where it goes. God's word, we know it's God's word. Prophecies, you just don't know what God's doing. And you might misinterpret it. We assume a lot of things when we hear prophetic words, just like we assume a lot of things when we hear the Bible. So we need discernment. Because one of the things that Satan does to the believer is he seeks to get us a little bit off track. And oftentimes it comes and it looks like this might be the real deal. It has the illusion, or it presents as something that is from God. There's scriptures involved in it. Hey, look at this. Look at how it all fits together. But really, we need to be people who are discerning, because it is really easy. And if you don't believe me, read a book on church history. Because the church has gotten off track, and almost every renewal movement in the history of the church comes because someone who's got mojo and charisma or whatever it is they come on the scene and then all of a sudden it looks good but then it ends up going this way there's biblical realities to it but it's not solid and then before you know it you have all these splintering groups and all these things and people are getting hurt so we have to realize that satan is a counterfeiter and he's a liar and he's a deceiver and even in the last days what you're going to find is all of these things are going to have biblical overtones to them people who have a collective history that understands the things of God, these things tie in. Oh, look at this. He's like, he died. Now he's, he's alive again. It's a resurrection. Obviously, there's something special about this person. But of course, the Bible tells us these things in advance so that we wouldn't be ignorant of Satan's devices and we'll be able to understand what's going on. So what goes on is that because of this wound that's been healed, everyone marvels and they begin to follow the beast. So it's a leader. And then it says, so they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So the people are marveling at this leader. But really what they're doing is they're worshiping the dragon. Because they're following. And they're saying, no one is quite like this beast. Notice verse five. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and he was given authority to continue 
for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell on the earth. So you see, the beast's MO is to blaspheme God. And remember I told you, what's the big battle? The big battle is about the supremacy and the preeminence of Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, we live in a world that lives its life blaspheming God. You realize that, like our world is against Jesus. Why? Because Jesus says, we're all sinners and we need saving. In our culture, our culture wants to hear, you're great just the way you are, you do you, rock and roll. I'm not against rock and roll. You guys know that. I was just playing the bass. You know, I like rock and roll. But the idea is, is that anything is blasphemy against God when it says, actually, what God's word said is, is wrong. You don't need to repent. You don't need to believe in Jesus. Believe in everything else. See, we have all these cultural things. So we live in a culture that isn't welcoming to the narrow gate of what it means to follow Jesus. Now, can I just say this? Because this is something I'm learning as I'm getting older. And it's really profound to me. Is that the narrow gate isn't only how I get into heaven. The narrow gate is also how I follow Jesus. As I've gotten older, I realize that more and more I believe in Jesus. I enter through the narrow gate. It's a difficult way if you find it, but it leads to life. But actually, growing in Jesus is also a very narrow gate, isn't it? Where all things are lawful, but not all things edify. So I want to encourage you not only to believe in Jesus as you enter through the narrow gate, but I want to encourage you to mature in your faith by continuing to choose to enter through the narrow gate. Because broad is the way that leads to destruction. And everybody finds it, but it doesn't lead you where you want to go. And I believe that in maturity, as I'm getting older, God is like, Daniel, every bit of your discipleship is entering through the narrow gate. There's no broad gate for you. You have to enter through the narrow gate who you are, how you live, what you value, all these things. It's like the spirit of God is funneling towards the narrow gate. He's saying, listen, yeah, come on. And I believe that for some of us, that's the struggle right now. You're like, I believe in Jesus, but why do I have to be so specific or intentional about it? Because the spirit of God is saying, unless you're specific and intentional about it, you're not going to grow. You need to keep being funneled by the spirit into the narrow gate. And especially in a world where The world is actively against Jesus. Now, listen to what it says. This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul gives us a lot more information on the Antichrist. It says, let no one deceive you by any means, for the day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God, in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So you see, that's Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. See, he exalts himself above all that is called, of all that is where he's saying, so he's going into the temple and he's demanding worship, which is exactly what it says here. Those, verse 6, then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. If you've been a follower of Christ for a number of years, if you noticed that as time has gone on, that some things that you thought were okay to say or do or think positively of have become not okay for you, Pastor Daniel has been teaching that it's good for that to happen because it's part of God's process of making you more like Jesus. 
And as time goes on, you're building up treasures in heaven and bettering yourself here on earth. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I realize that there are many of you, you're not a born again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I wanna begin to follow Jesus. I wanna help you do that right now. We're gonna pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio and Pastor Daniel continues his teaching, The Two Beasts. He'll be talking about the dragon and what the Apostle John calls the beast. You'll get a kind of behind-the-scenes look at how Satan's going to trick almost everyone in the world and get them to worship him through their worship of the beast. Pastor Daniel will also show what happens to those who don't go with the crowd. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time. As Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series, A Year of Revelation. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.